This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and this week, not only is Matthew Rushing here with me, hello Matthew. Hey Chris, how's it going? We are joined by our friend Dan Gunther from Trek Lit Reviews. Hey Dan. Hello, how's it going today? It's going pretty well. So I, I don't know how to start off the show here. We've never had a guest for news before it's the very first time right Matthew well you know Chris there's a there's a first time for everything and and I Dan was with us in in the interview and as I think we told some some people before you know we we a lot of times will have our shows out of order so yeah, we, we might record yeah out of order usually know, yeah. so we got an interview with uh, Jeff Lang tonight um, we already did that and I thought well why don't we just have Dan here to talk about some news because we got some fun news for books we do and in in fact the first item here in the show outline matthew which you put together it says takedown blurb and i got scared at first because i thought maybe you know we had offended somebody and this is like youtube someone's asking us to take down the story that we haven't even talked about yet no chris (laughs) this is just the blurb for john jackson miller's brand new star trek book coming out in february takedown Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So name of the book. All Which, right. gosh, this blurb is really exciting. Um, and I'm just going to read it to everybody because I don't, I don't know. I'm going to ask you guys about what you think after this. When a renegade starship's wrecked destruction across the quadrant, Captain Jean-Luc Picard and the crew of the USS Enterprise are shocked to discover that the mastermind behind this sudden threat, none other than Picard's protege and friend, Admiral William T. Riker. The newly minted Admiral is on a special assignment aboard the USS Aventine, helmed by the Captain Esri Dax, someone who is no stranger to breaking Starfleet regulations. Her starship is by far the faster vessel, and Riker cannot yield even to his former mentor. It's a battle of tactical geniuses and a race against time as Picard struggles to find answers before the Quadrant's greatest powers violently plunge into total war. Bum, bum, bum. Can I just say that this sounds like a story based on the poster for Generations. This is what people were thinking Generations (laughs) might be, Enterprise versus Enterprise or something. Okay, so what in the world? Tell me what you guys think about this. Uh, personally, I'm pretty excited about this. I love the idea of Picard and Riker kind of matching wits and going up against each other. And we've been told in episodes that Riker is, you know, a tactical genius. So I'm really excited to see these uh, two face off. And I mean, I'm assuming there's going to be 
something that Riker knows that's above Picard's pay grade, oddly enough, to inform what's going on. But it's kind of the showdown between these two that I'm pretty excited to see. So do you think we're going to get a Picard maneuver and a Riker maneuver, but part two? (laughs) Oh, man, that would be pretty cool. This is a very interesting concept to me. It's very interesting. It's very unorthodox for Star Trek from the description. We'll have to see how the story plays out. I can almost imagine this being like an Admiral William T. Riker, but from another timeline, like when we think about when we saw all the different Rikers from all the different timelines in uh, the next generation. Who knows? But it sounds like it's going to be fun. That's for sure. Well, I did read on the Trek BBS boards that uh, John Jackson Miller did confirm that this is all prime universe. So there aren't any mere universe influences Mm. or anything like that. I kind of think like you, Dan, that this is going to be one of those things where Riker's having to keep things from Picard. And so he has to have his friend chasing him. And they really are having to try and outthink them because, you know, Picard's going to do all he can to keep Riker from starting a war. And Riker has to make it look like he's, you know, so really going to have these two minds going together. Uh, I think that's great. And I love that Esri Dax is just kind of going to be in the middle with her starship being the one going up against the Enterprise. To me, this is exciting. And the idea of, of trying to to keep a war from happening, I think is great. You know, the, we, we still are very much at the end of the fall um, the, the Typhon Pact's still there. There's a lot of political implications, but I, I've also read from, from Miller that this is going to be a lot about the characters, and so that's exciting to me as well. Well, I very much enjoyed uh, Miller's earlier Titan ebook novella, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm definitely excited to get more from him as well. Yeah, I'm glad that he's writing Trek. Um, I, I, you know, I've enjoyed his Star Wars books. Uh, he he wrote one of my favorites uh, in the now Legends series that they have, Kenobi. And so I'm 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 very excited. I, I hope that this will lead to to more novels by him. That's excellent. So Matthew, the next story that we have here is something you and I were talking about yesterday on iMessage. You sent me a link to this book. It's a very limited run, 1,000 copies, uh, and very long too. It's close to 700 pages, I believe, 672 pages to be exact. Return to Tomorrow, it's a long lost book on the making of Star Trek The Motion Picture. It's coming this fall. Yeah, this is by author... Preston Neal Jones. Uh, The publisher is uh, Creature Features, and it is a very long book. And this is uh, the um, oral history of the film, compiled from interviews with 60 of the film's cast and creators, conducted as the motion picture was being prepared to be released, which I think is really exciting to get the interviews from people like William Shatner and, and Leonard Nimoy, the entire cast, Director Robert Wise, um, Gene Roddenberry, as well as all of these other people who worked on the film. You know, what was it that that went into the making of this film? Uh, Obviously, this is going to be something that's quite extensive. But hearing their thoughts, you know, at the moment, not, you know, so many years removed. I mean, they all have opinions now of the motion picture. But what were they thinking before it even came out, what, you know, what were their thought processes? Especially, I think the the director here, Robert Wise, you know, he's known for the the great epics, 
stepping into something like Star Trek, uh, what were they thinking? And to me, you know, uh, the motion picture is one of those things that I think has kind of been up and down with fans. I think we're on kind of an upswing with it. You know, I think a lot of people um, put more stock in the motion picture than they used to. Um, I'm one of those people. I, I actually don't hate the motion picture. There are parts of it that are quite long. But I also think that there's some some really good story elements there, and I, I actually really enjoy it, especially the director's cut. So I'm excited about this. I went ahead and I, I pre-ordered this. This book is priced at $29.95. Um, there are only going to be 1,000 copies available, and the first 100 copies come hand-signed by the author. So that's pretty cool, too. And... I understand, Matthew, that the first five copies come hand-signed by all 60 people from the film, signed in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> if only Just that were true. No but speaking of the price, Matthew, I mean, like you, I went over and I was just going to order it on the spot. There are only a thousand copies. Of course, I found out that the book's twenty nine ninety five, and then the shipping to Japan is twenty four ninety five. So I had Ooh. to hold off a little bit on that, but I'm glad that you ordered a copy. Well, I figured I can't really be the Treklet guy on Trek FM and not have a copy of this book. And so I'm just charging it to the network. So. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. We'll charge it to the to the slush fund there. Yeah. That, that, that keeps the, the zero balance all the exactly, time. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll end up getting one, I'm pretty sure. Now. But um, I'll have to wait maybe a month. <laughs> I don't want to charge it right now. So, But uh, what do you think about this, Dan? Um, I'm pretty excited for this. Um, like Matthew, I'm I'm actually a fan of the motion picture. Uh, there's a lot of hate out there for this movie, but it's kind of always had this special place in my heart, and that's really because um, I can kind of pinpoint the exact moment that I became a Star Trek fan. When I was maybe six or seven, my mom brought home a VHS rental copy of the motion picture, and I tell you, those Klingon ships twisting mm. past the camera mm-hmm. right then and there, I was jaw on the floor. What is this? <laughs> I was hooked. So motion pictures kind of just always had that special place in my heart. And I anything behind the scenes, I would love to know more. So. so we'll put a link in the show notes to this if you want to go over and grab a copy. Like we said, it's strictly limited, they say, to 1,000 copies. So if you want to... I. I just mentioned I'm probably going to wait a month because I I can't put the charge on right now. Hopefully there will still be a copy by then. We'll see. So one more story we have here. Matthew, is this a typo? What does this say? Star Trek undressing the final frontier? Chris, come on. No, no. But looking at the cover of this book, you might actually want that to happen. Um, no, Chris, this is Star Trek dressing the final frontier. Oh, dressing. Um, and as we all know, the 50th anniversary of the original series is approaching. And Insight Editions is going to be publishing several books examining specific aspects of the show and the subsequent films and the spinoffs. And their first up book coming out in the fall of of 2015 is going to be called Star Trek Dressing the Final Frontier. Um, They're going to follow that up with a travel guide to Vulcan and then a travel guide to the Klingon Empire. But Chris, I have to say, just alone, looking at the cover for this book, if this is the final cover, I am sufficiently excited about this book. (laughs) 
Um, folks, on, yeah, uh, I, I thought so. I thought you were going to give it the stamp of sufficient excitement, as it's just seven of nine, which on it a is dark background um, in her know, silver suit. Yeah, funny personal story. My mom was uh, here in, visiting, and we were talking about you know the fact that I love Star Trek, and and she's like, "Didn't you like that? You know that." You you did you didn't like Voyager? I thought you liked that Seven of Nine character. I was like, Mom, I was a teenager. She was hot. What was I supposed to do? It, uh, resistance was futile, you know. Um, and so I I think that's the reason they put this on the front cover is because you're gonna want this book. Right. This this is a cool book actually because I the costume design of Star Trek and and the clothing design too. Like one of the pages they show from the inside of here are the the ladies from Mud's Women and and just and the dresses and the style of the 60s as well that you see there and they have sketches of how those dresses were created this is very interesting to me and it's one of the things that when we talk about awards that Star Trek receives that they're nominated for and receives you know costume design and fashion is one of the key areas where the work of the creatives on Star Trek is most often recognized well, and this is going to be, uh, I think, something that, you know, a true fan is going to want to have. This is going to be a nice book. It, it's 208 pages. It's a big book, too. And it, yeah. I mean, d- it, Dimensions-wise, it's, it's a big it, book. Exactly, <laughs> which makes it perfect for those great color layouts that we're seeing here that, that Star StarTrek.com had, kind of showing what the inside is going to look like. Mm-hmm. It is going to be $60, but I think because of the the, the size of the book and what it's going to be about. It, it's really going yeah. to be worth it, um, I believe, because, well, you know, designing the future, especially with the costumes and kind of getting the the, the idea from, from start, you know, sketches all the way to completion. A costume says a lot about a character. I mean, even, you know, we were making a joke about Seven of Nine being on the cover. What goes into that? process of trying to figure out okay how do we dress this woman and as you know we've heard talk about um from brandon you know casting beautiful women is one of the hardest things to do on star Mm -hmm. trek but then how do you dress them well casting beautiful women who can act and play a lead role is is difficult now casting beautiful women on star trek is apparently easy because (laughs) they have been doing it since 1967 1966 so (laughs) Yeah, this book looks uh, really fascinating. Um, Star Trek does really well with coffee table books, for sure. There have mm-hmm. been some really good ones over the years. And, you know, there's kind of been a uh, a drought lately of this sort of thing. So it's pretty exciting to see something like this coming. And anytime there's, you know, background information or behind the scenes um, sketches or anything like that, that certainly gets me excited. Definitely. So we'll put a link in the show notes to this as well. Uh, you can go over to insighteditions.com, all one word there, and uh, find out more about this and other upcoming books. And then uh, StarTrek.com has some images as well. All right. Well, that's all we have in news before we go into the interview with Jeff Lang to talk about The Light Fantastic. We would like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. They're the best source for audiobooks that you'll find anywhere. And as we tell you every week, as a Trek of Him listener, you can get a free book of your choice just for trying Audible. And we like to recommend a Star Trek book for you to pick up. And before the show, on the other side of the page, Matthew and Dan, you guys were sort of debating 
The Return of Captain Kirk in The Return, the Shatnerverse novel. So we're going to recommend that today. Tell, tell us a little bit about that book. Well, um, it's just what it says that the title uh, doesn't leave much to the imagination. It is about the return of Captain Kirk after his death. Uh, in Star Trek Generations, and uh, William Shatner uh, was actually very excited about the idea. He he even approached Paramount about the idea of, of returning Captain Kirk, and and um, they said now that no, doesn't and, surprise you, right, Matthew? <laughs> well, you know, um, it does surprise me, especially after the fan backlash from Generations and and the backlash that's still coming. I mean, well, no, you know, I think that backlash is what that. I mean. Shatner himself felt that way. And so like, I'm going to bring Kirk back in books and I'm going to tell the whole story myself. Mm -hmm. And so uh, (laughs) once they said no, he decided to write his own books and, and, you know, it is over the top and, and, and crazy ridiculous, but I think that's what makes it so fun for me. Um, And I really do enjoy Shatner's books. Um, I know there are a lot of fans out there who just don't love them, but hey, this is the, the the way to get them on Audible, being read by the man himself, by the chat. Go pick yeah. this one up. You will not be sorry. I like the part where he taps his own fists together and takes both the form of an animal and water all by himself. <laughs> I thought that when he taps his fists together, he became, you know, like a Q. Like he had the powers of Q, you know, like, oh, goodness. <laughs> Dan, what do you think about the return? Um, I I enjoyed the return. It was uh, actually thinking back on it, it's the only one of the books written by William Shatner that I have read. I actually remember I uh, I reviewed this one a couple of years ago on my website um, at the request of one of my friends who hadn't really read a lot of Star Trek books but had read that one. And afterwards, I uh, got an email from him, kind of. Uh, a little angry at me for not making more fun of it because he felt it was really over the top. Um, and it certainly is, like Matthew said, but it's also enjoyable and a really good read. Great. Well, as Matthew mentioned, it is not only written by William Shatner, but narrated by William Shatner. And I recommend anything narrated by William Shatner because he's <laughs> such a delight to listen to. And you can get this free just for trying Audible. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today, pick up the return, or pick up anything else you like, absolutely free. If at the end of the trial you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You get to keep that book. But when you try Audible, you really are helping us keep literary treks coming to you each week. So go check them out. I promise you're going to love them. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, Chris, we have a really exciting show for everyone, I think. We're going to talk about The Light Fantastic, which means that we've got Jeff Lang with us here in his follow-up to the Immortal Coil and the Cold Equation series. How's it going, Jeff? It's going very well, guys. How are y'all? Now, Jeff, are, are we sure this is really you and not a hologram? <sighs> well, if, if what could you tell the difference? <laughs> that's the question. Well, that's- that's the question, right? Well, he could also be one of those newfangled data type androids as well. I mean, we'd never know. I mean, unless right. we could get him to pop one of those servos on his arm for us. I, 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 I get fat. I have gray hair. You'd never know. I, I age just like regular people do. So, yes, we'll, I'll let you know. That'll be the mystery reveal at the end of the interview. 
Awesome. Excellent. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's really great to have you back, Jeff. Um, and it was a lot of fun to be able to talk about the Immortal Coil. And then, of course, you know, be able to jump in and, and read The Light Fantastic. So it was interesting to me because, you know, I remember when we were talking to, to David Mack about Cold Equations. And he was mentioning how he loved The Immortal Coil. And he wanted to write a kind of a sequel series to this and and that was going to be his way of of being able to bring data back he felt like that was going to make it work and one because he loved your book and and two because it just felt like the right way to go to be able to bring this um you know character that so many people love back so for me after reading cold equations you know david had used um your book as, as the basis for that how did you come up with the follow-up, the Light Fantastic? You know, Data's back now. He has this whole new body. He's got full-on emotions, and he's got a daughter. Where did you, I mean, how did you figure out where you wanted to go with this story? Because really, at that point, Data can go anywhere and do anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, the the origin of, of the story in, in no uncertain terms is, Margaret called me up and said, Hey, do you want to write a data book? And I was, um, uh, um, yeah, sure, <laughs> Margaret. Well, it, it was, I was at the point where, um, cold equations, I think was, yes, of course it was out. It, I think the third book had just come out and it was, well, you know, it was, it was very well received, very, very popular. Um, and I think the thing that really, uh, prompted the call to me was the uh they noticed that the sales of immortal coil spiked right uh, and i think it right, was right. one of these things where uh the editorial powers that be said this jeff Lang guy is he still around what's going on with him <laughs> uh maybe somebody should get in touch with him and they did and it just happened that i was at a at a, a juncture where taking on a project like that seemed like a really fun idea the origin of the story was actually something I had thought of. Uh, the, the 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 rough idea of um, data going on a caper, I guess you'd have to say, where he was investigating or um, interacting with other yet more different forms of artificial intelligence. Something that came to me, uh, I don't know, it was probably eight years ago. A little while after, uh, I don't know, whatever it was. I guess after I had finished with Left Hand of Destiny, I was trying to think of something to do. And I think then shortly after that, they killed Data. So it was like, well, okay, that's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, but but the idea then was to do kind of a fun story where we got to dig into more about what life was like for some of these other artificial intelligences. And particularly, I was interested in the holographic intelligences because mm-hmm. we had done i felt like okay we've done androids right. so let's try something else what's that, what else is left out there and by that point um vic on deep space nine was a very well established character the doctor on um, voyager um uh, you know they had they had explored some of those uh ideas just right. enough that it was something that i felt like i could go in and, and play around with it some more I had no, I had completely forgotten about Moriarty at that point. And I believe it was Margaret's suggestion when I, 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 when I pitched her this idea 
that just said, how about I do, you know, blah, 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 something like this, a caper story. It involves lol heavily. Data goes off on a jaunt and he has to do something. Uh, I had, I think I posited the idea that lol was kidnapped. And Margaret just said in her Margaret E way, she just said, Moriarty, you know, just kind of one word tossed off that way that she does. And from there, everything pretty much, it was, it was the easiest plot I've ever written. Um, you have a good villain. Uh, you have a pretty straightforward idea for moving the hero through his paces, you know, these challenges. Um, it's, it's very simple after that to put together a plot like that. Well, and it seemed to, I mean, uh, do you watch BBC Sherlock at all or um, Elementary? <laughs> um, elementary, no. I haven't ever seen it. Um, uh, my son just recently made me start watching Sherlock with him. It was one okay. of those things that I wanted to see and just never had an opportunity. And uh, just at the beginning of the summer, he said, nope, you're going to watch this. Let's go. And I really, I mean, duh, I really enjoyed it. It's very <laughs> well done. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, we know that Jeff doesn't watch Elementary. Otherwise, in this book, Jordy would be played by Lucy Liu. That's true. That's true. Which, I don't know, might be an improvement. Uh, no, just kidding. I, lo, nobody gets better than LeVar Burton. I'm just kidding. Um, well, it's funny because as, as I was thinking through the story, and it just seems like very much an episode of, of Sherlock because you have Moriarty against his, you know, his his nemesis basically of, of Sherlock and data seems very much to me in that kind of Cumberbatchian Sherlock where he is you know he has access to emotion but he doesn't necessarily always know um, the best thing to do with them mm. and mm-hmm. um, he doesn't really necessarily always know how to process them or even understand what it is that he's feeling and I just really thought that that was a great um, parallel there of you know uh, Sherlock is such a logical character, but he always has trouble with emotions. And mm-hmm. even though Data has full access to emotion now, he still has a lot of trouble really understanding what's going on, even with his father being a part of him and kind of understanding some of those ideas, you know, from his you know father's memories. Yeah. Now, um, interesting, uh, I, I, a good observation. I I can't say that when I was writing the book that I was I've had Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson in my mind in the four you know in my in the front of my mind um I I don't think there's any question that there's some influence there what I was really thinking about more than anything um I think we talked about this a little bit last time was some I had just finished reading a couple of Donald Westlake novels Mm -hmm. and his books tend to be more about um, criminals than about people who are on the white, you know, the, the uh, wearing the white hats. His guy, mm-hmm. his, his heroes are all anti-heroes. And I really wanted to put data in a position where he was not working inside the line so much where he had to break the rules uh, that he was um, working outside these strictures that he normally works in. And I thought the Westlake novels were a good model for that kind of thing. So um, that, 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 that was a large part of where it came from. I mean, but you put Jordy and Data together and, you know, they just fall into that established rhythm that they have the, the Holmes Watson um, patois. They can't, they can't not do it. 
Yeah, and it, it I mean it it definitely both of those I think like you were talking about with the Westlake novels and then um, putting that together kind of with this Holmes idea. I think it works really well for the book, um, especially as we're watching kind of data try and grapple with these emotions that he has full access to now. I mean, there's nothing stopping him, you know, that he, he for all intents and purposes, he's human as he could ever possibly be. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously so much more. And yet he, he still doesn't necessarily understand how to integrate them fully and, and deal with them. Takes um, practice. It, it, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, which I know it, people who have been at it for years who still haven't gotten it figured out. <laughs> um, which kind of left me wondering um, there, because the other thing I thought about Data when I was reading the book is, you know, okay, so he has his mother's memories. He mm-hmm. still has access to the memories of Lol and his father. Data's almost like an Android version of a Trill at this point. <laughs> I mean, uh, did that ever cross your mind at all that he's no, kind of? But that's a really fascinating concept. Now, but 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 let me let me debate this with you a little bit. Um, I guess I thought of Data as being sort of the. Um, the sum of all of those mm, persona. Okay. Whereas if I, if I've read and watched my deep space nine, mm-hmm. well, the, the different personas are separate. I mean, they can call upon the memories and experiences, but I mean, Esri doesn't act like Curzon. Or, right. Right. Occasionally there will be little moments where like some experience of one of the previous hosts mm-hmm. or one of the previous, um, personas will kind of pop through um i know certainly david mack and and um some of the current folks doing deep space nine books uh write esri that way but um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna push back on that one a little bit i think data is actually almost more like an amalgamation of all those persona with his original personality being the dominant one Mm -hmm. um that Mm -hmm. that's i think that's kind of the way i like to look at it but you can debate me if you'd like no, I think I think that makes sense. Um, it just kind of the, it, there was a at least a correlation in some ways for me between the two. Um, not that it was a perfect one for one, but just kind of trying to understand in my own mind. Okay, how does this kind of work for data? But I think the way you described it makes a lot of sense that he he's been able to kind of pull them all together. Um, and that, yeah. yeah, his his original <laughs> personality is still the the main personality but there's a bits and pieces of him that have been severely influenced now by the the people that he's had kind of merged with himself and so that's an interesting and i wonder i really hadn't thought of juliana as being part of his personality but now if i if i do get the opportunity to do another story with him i will certainly consider that also you have to factor in lore I mean, mm-hmm. Lord, oh, yeah, if they're definitely. all in there, he's in. I mean, I did, I did kind of have a, a couple of points in the story, which eventually we we decided to remove, where it was a little bit implied that there was some, you know, there was a dark side to his pers- personality that was coming through, but it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't fit, it didn't work, mm-hmm. at least in that particular point. So we'll see where that goes. 
I wonder if in the future we'll see kind of a uh, multiple personality disorder with data. <laughs> Hopefully better than masks was, though. <laughs> um, that would be good. It's a fun idea. I mean, I think, I think the, you know, this was all, for the most part, a bit of a jolly romp. I mean, certainly, you know, with people being kidnapped and, you know, problems. But, I mean, overall, I think the story was meant to be something kind of an antidote to some of the heavier uh, Star Trek stories. But yeah, if I or somebody else decides to pursue um, some of these ideas, I mean, having all those people banging around in your head, even if you're a you know incredibly advanced Sung type android, can't be fun, and um, you might need to do something about it to keep everybody in line. Well, that that's that's where I mean the correlation for me between like kind of like him and Esri especially when she's first joined mm. kind of came together was just the fact that you know Esri wasn't trained to be a, a you know joint trill so having all those voices running around inside her head it made me wonder just kind of how it does work for data because he does have um, a lot of different personas that have merged with him and so how did how does that all work and you know I mean his father had um, a little bit of a dark side as, as mm. much as, you know, and I think um, Lore did too. And, and so those kind of things are and even his mother um, a little bit. So, you know, the, where all that can come together in the future, I think it just creates a fascinating idea for stories of, you know, who is Data going to be? Because we're still really working through that. And uh, Data is still very much working through that. Well, let me tell you something that Margaret said to me. And I'll, and I'll, I, you may have heard this before. Um, don't expect to see a lot of data. <laughs> uh, uh, her um, take on it is uh, he's like saffron, best used in very small doses. Uh, so I don't think you, I don't think that you're going to expect to see a ton of data novels as much as I would enjoy that myself <laughs> uh, that that that's kind of her take on it I, and I I get where she's coming from I mean he is such a domineering personality and not I don't mean like um, you know that he's uh, overwhelm overwhelming mm -hmm. or, or forceful but um, he has so much power he he's I think we even talked about this last time he's almost like a superhero character in in star trek whereas everybody else more or less is pretty human uh, i mean they're you know Worf has his moments of kind of going over the line um dr bashir a little bit but data is you know superhuman uh super whatever he is he he can do anything he has the ability to you know pretty much bring around anything he wants so you have to be very careful about how you use him so yeah well, and I think that's a wise idea. I mean, even for me, you know, I, I wasn't a data fan in, in, mm -hmm. in before your books. I was and, very proud of, of, yes. of to, 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 to bring you to the, right back to the, the good, good side. To the good side. <laughs> um, but I, what I think was the thing that you just kind of hit on is, is data's personality and, and kind of exploration is one that I think now is best used in those small bits because then you can really appreciate it. Whereas like data was so much at the forefront all the time without so much growth in the films. Mm -hmm. and, and now he really is growing. He's evolving. He's changing and he's doing all these things that he should be able to do as an android in the first place, which is super exciting. Um, mm. But if you do that too much, you would ruin 
who he is as a character and, and the specialness of what he's going through. Because even with all these other, you know, uh, sentient, you know, artificial intelligences out there, data is still very unique. And mm-hmm. we don't want to take away from that uniqueness, I think. Um, and I, so I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative for Margaret thinking that way. Yeah, me too. I mean, as much as I, w- I would write two of these a year if they let me. Um, but <laughs> that's not. I'd read them. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, that would be fun. I, I did want to <laughs> just thank you um, for uh, throwing in a Nick and Nora Charles reference. I love the. Oh, Thin it Man doesn't take series. me very much to get Nick and Nora Charles into yeah, anything. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, just I love that series so much. Two of my favorite characters ever in film, uh, yeah. or even in 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 um novel form so that was great to see i love that you just throw those things in there all the time and if you're paying attention you'll catch them but one of the things i thought was most interesting you talked about you know thinking about doing some uh a story when data was dead with the other artificial intelligences and we had some in here you know moriarty being one but then what surprised me the most i think was was hearing vic and the doctor kind of side with Moriarty when, Mm -hmm. you know, when I thought about what they were talking about with, you know, uh, what happened to Moriarty, it didn't really seem like to me that, you know, Picard willingly had put um, them in danger. You know, it just happened. Picard wasn't even the one who crashed the Enterprise. They can blame Deanna if they want. (laughs) Um, Or just the bad screenwriting of generations. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it it seemed like one of those things where... uh, to me, they're kind of anger. I'm not sure exactly where it came from. So talk to me a little bit just about, especially with the doctor and Vic and, and maybe some of the other sentient artificial intelligences, where they're coming from, um, as opposed to, you know, obviously when when Jordy hears that, he, he kind of, I think, has the same feeling I do. So talk to me a little bit about where you were coming from with them. Um. When when I first came up with the idea of using, well, when Margaret first suggested using Moriarty, um, I mean, the, the the big question is, well, wait, what happened to him? And was anybody paying attention? In particular, uh, you know, looking at the at the the seven seasons of Star Trek, it was the 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 Next Generation. It was a very um, strange omission. Mm-hmm. In terms of the the what the writers did and didn't do, in that you know Moriarty was one of the few. If I'm, I'm trying to think of any, and besides Q, was there another villain or, or or character like that who showed up in more than one episode? They never gave it an ending. I mean, it, mm-hmm. you know, saying to him, you know, we're we're everything's fine. You're you you'll be fine here. You've you you've escaped into the universe. My feeling about that was watching that episode again was Moriarty's not that stupid. <laughs> he mm-hmm. <laughs> he's supposed to be as smart or you know as the original character from the Sherlock Holmes books, which meant he was on right. he had an intellect on you no know, on a par with Holmes, which is mm-hmm. astonishing. Quite a, yeah. Mm-hmm. So my first thought was, how long would he be fooled? By this now, uh, given that you know the, the incredible amount of computing power and everything else that would go on, there would have to be some moment where something went wrong. And as you say, Deanna's lousy piloting skills <laughs> provided a perfect opportunity. 
Um, right. And then, and then when it came to, you know, figuring out, well, what happened that, after that, um, it doesn't take, it doesn't take much time to find new and more fun ways of like making their lives miserable. Mm-hmm. The idea mm-hmm. of, of, of making the doctor and Vic stand on their side. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I guess I got, think it's sort of a no brainer. Um, it's their people. They're, they are of the same people, the same way that Data in Immortal Coil and the other, the, the, the League of Ancient Androids or whatever we used to call them. I'm sorry, I'm blanking out on my own story. Um, you know, these people think of themselves as, uh, as a, a group. And as you will with any kind of a group that is, you know, in a minority, they're going to have some sensitivity to being oppressed in any way. So I think it's, uh, I, I agree with you that um, Jordy would um, probably, you know, side with Captain Picard. I mean, his loyalty to his captain, et cetera. But yeah, I think any of the other AIs um, or, you know, holographic intelligences would immediately, you know, their reaction would be, well, of course they would forget about us. Of course they would abuse us. Of course, because that's what humans do. I mean, even the good ones, but that's what humans do. They they abuse us, they oppress us. Most probably, frustratingly, they ignore us. And I just felt like that's just the way they would respond. Even, as you say, Vic and the doctor, who mm-hmm. were, you know, pretty high-minded people overall, they're going to they're gonna side with the people who, they're going to side with the circumstances that they know and have experienced themselves. Of course, the doctor has been abused. I don't remember if we've ever seen Vic be abused, but I'd be surprised if he hadn't been exposed to that in some form or another. And let, and let me be careful here. I, when I say abused, I don't mean like um, tormented or tortured, but just treated poorly. Right. Mm. Well, and 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 that's where the, the Vic part actually kind of made a little bit of sense is the fact that he's been offline and mm. kind of stuck in limbo for so long. And, and, Part of that reminded me that, you know, Julian wasn't isn't on Deep Space Nine right now to be able to kind of fight for somebody mm-hmm. fixing Vic immediately, um, mm-hmm. because I, I feel like if he be if he was there, that would be one of his main priorities. And and Nog has been working on it. You, you talk about in the book. But I mean, it, it's not it's just not quite the same. Um, and so I was I was really thankful that that um, you had kind of set up a good way for Vic to be able to come back pretty quickly in some Deep Space Nine books because the solution is almost there. Because it reminded me how much I miss Vic. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, give give all credit there to David George because he, uh, mm. well, here's, here's a little bit of um, 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 inside baseball. Uh, I originally wrote all of the, all of Vic's scenes originally were entirely different. They were, written with my belief that Vic was entirely reestablished on Deep Space Nine. Oh. Everything was hunky-dory. Um, that he was running this casino. I wrote the... Uh, I'm, I was very proud of these scenes. <laughs> of, him, of him coming into his lavishly appointed office and uh, uh, playing the whole Sinatra persona to the hilt. And um, 
going from, you know, being this really, hey, you cats, to, you know, Data just sort of shutting him down and saying, look, I've been, I have a problem. You need to help me. Da, 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 da. And it, it played out that way. And sent the book in. And then, you know, a few weeks later, got a note back from Margaret saying, now, David says uh, Vic's not out of his box yet. You've got to rewrite these scenes. So <laughs> he, he, he very, very thoughtfully provided me with extensive notes that um, made it possible for me to actually salvage a lot of the original dialogue and, and some of the text. But um, no, that whole thing about him being in that seedy hotel room, that was entirely something that David kind of just said, look, this is, this is where he is. This is what he's doing, mm. um, which I loved. It was a lot of fun. I mean, the, the, the seedy Vic is as much fun to write as, you know, Dick in his, uh, his tux with his bow tie ever so slightly askew, you know, that, that, that version of him is fun too. Yeah. It just made me hope that, um, it, he'll show up somewhere in, in Una's Deep Space Nine book uh, coming out at the very end of the year, beginning of next year. So who knows? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just going to say, it kind of reminded me of uh, the episode Bada Bing Bada Bang, where uh, Felix had that jack in the box. And actually, I was kind of thinking back that that's kind of the one time that I felt that Vic sort of felt that he was put upon by, I guess, humans or organics. Uh, he kind of like rolls his eyes and says, that Felix, oh man, you know, how could he do this to me? I thought he liked me. And I was yeah. like, hmm, is there a little bit of like doctor angst there? Maybe a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 That I think that's a good point, um, Dan. It made me think of that as well. And, and you could see where him and the doctor and the doctor too is is definitely somebody who is kind of maligned from when he first came online and then obviously as he grew it was different but uh it, it makes sense i i now that we've talked about it a little bit more and that's something that too i was thinking about just throughout the whole book uh, with with vic and the doctor and their progress is kind of like learning what it means to be sentient and, and data's travel and really metamorphosis at this point. And, you know, not only is he a completely new type of being, but he's also a father and he's grieving the loss of Rhea. And he has no idea how to do either of those things. <laughs> what was interesting is I could definitely tell, Jeff, that, that um, this whole book is definitely written by a guy who is a dad. Who is struggling <laughs> with some of the same things that Data is. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, uh, without doing it or without saying or, or uh, committing to anything that will embarrass my son, let's just say <laughs> I was working through some issues. <laughs> we talked about this last time, didn't we? Oh, right. That's <laughs> you right. and me yeah. being on the same page yeah. or in the same situation, similar, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, getting to... Getting to um, have data express some of my frustrations was was very gratifying yeah yeah no i i i took it to the wall <laughs> well uh, talk to me just about that um with with data's character i mean now he's a dad he's dealing with trying to figure out who he is again in some ways all over again and I, something that really doesn't get touched on because it's it it's a caper book 
but he is also having to try and deal somehow mm-hmm. with the, the loss of the the person that he's you know been in love with and mm-hmm. and thought he could have spent eternity with because they're both you know artificial beings and talk to me just yeah, about where data um, is i i was treating data in that it was it with regard let's talk about with regard to rea um you're you're correct in that i did not want to turn this into an angst fest that was foremost on my mind but i was uh, treating data with regard to rea as a person who was basically dealing with a trauma mm-hmm. think of it this way uh he was brought back to life i'm putting air quotes around that uh, you know in the middle of cold equations and from his point of view literally within a few days of that this woman this person who he considered his great love was dead or at least gone that's got to be traumatic mm. i mean even even as you know here we are again talking about you know what is data and what are his capabilities and his capacities um sure he's incredibly smart sure his mind works faster than ours does but as you say his emotions are not particularly sophisticated even pulling in the experiences that his father and mother and they may have you know bring to bear he still doesn't have any experience with dealing with a lot of these motions and with regard to rea i choose to look at it as him sort of just taking this this blob of confusion and and you know difficult emotions and sort of parking them over here if somebody doesn't bring her name up i'm not thinking about her and and i tried to do that at a couple of points in the story to have somebody bring her up and her and and his reaction is to just sort of lock up he's not He's not thinking about her. He's not thinking about what he thinks about her. He, he, I'm a dad. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to focus on. Because I think that's a lot of the time how people who have been through some sort of a trauma respond. They, they figure out, okay, I'm not going to think about this. I'm going to think about this other thing. This is the only thing that matters. And that's what I'm going to do. And Yeah, that's very you true. Know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with data with regard to Rhea someday in the future i'm sure we'll get back to that someday well the interesting thing and did i answer your question yeah i think so um (laughs) because i think one of the the interesting things about data is he is still an android so that does mean that he can compartmentalize things a little bit Mm. easier than we can um he may have full access to emotion but he can also i i feel like hide those those memory files a lot better than you know a human can well, we don't know about better because I don't think he's, you know, I, don't, I mean, it's no healthier for him to do that. than That's true. Yes, definitely. And if his behavior in some regards about law was, and I think we can discuss this if you'd like, was kind of borderline obsessive sometimes, yeah. that might have something mm-hmm. to do with it. You know, the, the, the focus on this one problem at the, expense of all other because mm-hmm. i don't want to think about this other thing that's another part that we were focusing on data is the most overprotective parent <laughs> um, you know and and you know arguably he had reasons to be in some ways but i think by the end of the book he realized that you know this person is perfectly capable of taking care of herself now I mean, now that she's learned to take naps um so <laughs> i need to back off and let her you know find her own way 
Yeah, but that's you the know hardest thing about, to do right? as a parent, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> yes. it's, it's easy to say that. It's very difficult to do that as a parent, though. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. One thing that I found that was uh, interesting is uh, during the TNG series and Generations and just getting his emotion chip, a lot of times Data felt very much like an adolescent to me. So it was really interesting to see Lal kind of being an adolescent and Data having to deal with her. And I mean, an adolescent in a much different way than Data was, but still it was kind of neat to see that uh, juxtaposition. Yeah, Data, I think, frequently was portrayed as an adolescent um, in the in the original TNG series, but an adolescent who had no emotions, right. which is sort of in almost a strange way, the, you know, what do you what do you think of when you think of adolescent? You think of somebody who has no control over their emotions, <laughs> um, but he had the curiosity and sort of some of the I don't know fecklessness of an adolescent, and that that was that was fun. I mean that that was that was a lot of fun to watch, and Brent Spiner really you know played that to the hilt. But yeah, no, Lal was more more typical of what you and I would probably consider to be an adolescent because she has emotions and they're all over the place. <laughs> um, if you've ever had teenage girls around, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have that sisters. Was, <laughs> that was something that was um, was really interesting about the book because I watched Data go th- from kind of one thing to be obsessive about to another. You know, with his father's empire, with um, his his daughter, and uh, he, he is very compulsive about what it is that he's doing and we kind of saw that throughout the series when he would you know paint the same thing over and over and over and over and over again to try and get it right or you know um trying to figure out practicing his violin and all those kind of things um it, it kind of was one of those deals where you realize man an android being obsessive about something could also be one of the scariest things that happen as well and and what a thing to be obsessive about a casino, yeah. Where uh, uh, okay, what's the biggest, most complicated math problem you know a person could have to deal with, and not just math, but also all of the attendant problems of other obsessive personalities and gambling is you know as much as anything is a kind of form of obsession. Um, yeah, and not just and not just humans either, but from all these other cultures. I, I'm really sorry I didn't get more time. I didn't get to spend more time in the casino because I find that idea of him interacting with all those life forms and and all those problems fascinating. I could do a book just with him getting up in the morning and okay, it's another day at the casino and kind of plowing through that. But I, I don't know if that's necessarily something anybody else would care about. Oh, I think that would be great. I'd love to at least see that as like an ebook or something. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll we'll you get back have, to you on that. <laughs> yeah, you could have like, you know, Jordy or people working the IT system, you know, to monitor the tables to find out if anyone's <laughs> winning too much and <laughs> mm. Or you could have the enterprise come and have a shore leave there and the whole crew would just be crawling through the place and data would be like, "Okay, am I going to let them win?" Okay, Captain Picard. Well, we know he sucks at poker, so let's keep him out of the poker room. Cetera, and then we find out cetera. that they can't go back to the ship until they win enough money to buy the place. <laughs> uh, because oh, Picard, hmm. Picard bet the Enterprise. Like, that that was his big yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. 
Yeah, I got, I got a I got a chit here that says uh, you signed over the papers to the Enterprise. <laughs> Toss in a nice linear chip with his command That's codes awesome. on it. Andy up. Worf, Worf looking disapproving. <laughs> We've spoken oh, about this. Yeah, no, it's writing itself right here. I have oh, four man. queens, Mister Worf. I can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that is awesome. That's great. Yeah, we're gonna oh, do it. Oh gosh. Well, that's that's something I kind of wanted to jump to with with uh, the fact that obviously we're gonna do uh, this data book. We are gonna bring Jordy in, and 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 uh, you know we're gonna bring in his best friend, his Watson. Um, and what, what I was really interested somebody to talk to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but he, there's only one person that we know of that he's really going to um, trust the way that he needs to, to be able to kind of talk through some of these things that he wouldn't share with anybody else. Mm-hmm. But it gave us the great opportunity though, to be able to actually kind of dive into Jordy's character because, you know, Jordy doesn't get a lot of screen time a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, he's, he's not a winner with the ladies except for in this book. Um, and that's something of kind of wanted where I wanted to start was uh, he's been dating somebody on the enterprise, but he's always had this, thing with leah brahms and obviously with indistinguishable for magic they were going to give their relationship a go mm-hmm. um so just talk to me a little bit about incorporating some of these developments for Jordy in the book um especially starting with his love life um i've always liked Jordy. i always found uh lavar burton's performances of, of, of him to be really uh charming and you're right, he doesn't get enough screen time and he doesn't get enough to do. Uh, I I really felt that that stupid visor <laughs> was part of the problem. Um, <laughs> it just, it's hard to act when you've got a, you know, a mm-hmm. Fram air filter on your head. That's but um, uh, I, I wanted him, well, I mean, you know, I, I agree with you. If you're going to have a data story you, and you need to have him talk to somebody, then of course, Jordy is the logical candidate. Um, as for his love life, I'm going to have to say I, I'm going to plead mild ignorance about what was going on in his love life because I hadn't read a couple of the books that you were just referring to at that time. So I didn't know he was having, you know, sort of a, a, a kind of a relationship. I just went back to the only relationship that I knew about with him, which was almost solely based on that last episode of Next Generation where Picard says, oh, I read your book and I heard Leia da, 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 and the kids. And I was like, oh, Leia. Okay, good. Fine. That's it. That's his, that's the woman he's going to end up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and while this isn't the moment where that happens, um, maybe, maybe you know what I'm talking about, but there's always that woman or man or whatever in your background, in your life that you kind of like, every time you sort of go anywhere near where they are there's that gravitational pull and it's like okay here we are again um let's see you know okay what are we gonna how are things gonna be this time or are the are the stars gonna align correctly this time and i think it's just a kind of another step in their relationship Mm -hmm. and if david or david or you know um dayton or ward or any of those guys completely refute and undermine this in have him go in another direction uh in another book fine i that's that's fine i just wanted to have a moment where jordy was happy he had just gotten laid life was good 
Um, he deserves it. Uh, and 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 I also wanted to have him in a, in a situation where when Data called, he wouldn't just immediately go, sure, let's go. He was like, oh, really? Really? <laughs> Do you realize what just happened for me? Come on, Data. <laughs> Come on! I'm I'm uh, that that line at the end of that scene is one of my favorite lines in the whole book where uh, where Leia says I hate you. Yes, he says I hate me too. (laughs) What she's saying, what she's saying is I love you, and he's saying Yeah, I know. Damn it! You know, (laughs) Um, because I think that's yeah. I think that's just how people talk sometimes in those Mm -hmm. situations. Yeah. Well, and I, I was one of those, I'm always one of those people too. I, I felt like that was the relationship in Data's life that would probably go somewhere, you know, Jordy's just life. kind of, yeah. Are you having Data sense. move in on, on Leia? No, I'm sorry. It That was the thing for <laughs> me. Matthew, that, look, let's keep your fanfic. Yeah, I'm sorry. I get, I get mixed up. I've been writing that Data Leia fanfic and I was really uh, excited about it. No. Okay. Um, yes, Jordy. Yeah, <laughs> Jordy. That was the one relationship I really felt like it was going to go somewhere, and and it was going to be because she was going to be a good foil for him. Mm-hmm. And I was glad to kind of see her come back. And and I feel like, and it makes sense to me what you just said. You know, there are those people where you just kind of get pulled to, and you can't help it. Um, and it's going to be a lot of times that that will be the person you end up with. And so I, I like that. It, it, I didn't really have any problems with it there. And I thought it was great character growth for Jordy to kind of see him do something that's, you know, I mean, is he kind of maybe seeing somebody else? And is it the best thing to be going to sleep with the old girl, you know? But mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I kind of like that. The whole book was a lot. There's a little bit more gray to some of the characters that we've seen be a, very black and white before. And you know that's character growth to me that and that's where we should be in the novels is is kind of digging into who these characters are mm-hmm. um and i definitely think jordy is one of those characters that i would love to see kind of that happen for um because he he is a he's a smart guy he he's is not a bad character i would love to see him get some more play in the novels and have more to do and i mean he's second officer on the flagship for gosh sakes mm-hmm. let's Let's uh, make this guy important. So, yep, yep, <laughs> I agree. Well, Dan had a, a really great question, and and Dan, I'm going to let you you ask Jeff about this because I really liked um, where you wanted to go there. Okay, for sure. Um, well, one thing that I notice in your novels, Jeff, uh, this one and Immortal Coil, especially, are the uh, the continuity touchstones. You know, bringing in characters. Uh, I think you guys talked last time. Um, Something that I loved from Immortal Coil was bringing in things that you wouldn't expect, like the M5 computer and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love how you're able to tie all these things together, like all these ancient androids and that sort of thing. And I was just wondering, like, how do you choose which points to cover? Um, is it kind of an organic process to the story, or are there things you kind of want to get in there? And also, are there any ones that kind of stand out that you would like to explore that haven't been done yet? Oh, that is a good question. Well, I've said this on more than one occasion, um, but with Immortal Coil, um, all all credit goes to Marco Palmieri. 
um, in terms of and getting some of I, I mean the original concept was okay we're going to pull in these various characters from you know where it made sense but Marco was the one in Immortal Coil who really started going oh wait a minute what about the exocomps oh wait a minute what about Wesley's nanites oh wait a minute what about M5 I mean that was his <laughs> idea I, I'm, oh, it's brilliant. I'm I would love to take credit for that but he was the one who kind of said, no, we need to get M5 in there. Uh, and it, of, of course, uh, as far as uh, frustrations, we couldn't figure out a way to bring in, oh God, what was the episode? It was one of the times that Kirk and Spock talked the computer into having sparks come out of it. Uh, the Archons? Oh, the Return of the Archons? The Archons? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we really struggled <laughs> to come up with some way to get him in there, but, but they blowed him up. So, you know, there, there was nothing to be done about that. <laughs> um, in, in light, fantastic, actually, it, I think you kind of hit right on it. It was a much more organic process in terms of who we were going to bring in. I knew that I wanted to have another Android character be in the story and I mean, somebody that we would recognize and be able to go, oh, that person, or I know who that is. Uh, the options were very limited. I mean, there's no lore, the, you know, Ray is gone, et cetera. Um, so when it came time to think of what other androids were still available, Alice was it. I mean, or Anne Alice uh, was it. And I think we decided on Alice just because A, I like the name, uh, B, she was probably the main female character in that story from Mud's world or I Mud. And um, I just liked the way she looked. Uh, <laughs> so, so pulling her in and tying in the whole story of Harry Mud and what happened to him um, was very simple. I think the part that was the most like, do we want to go there or not, was actually bringing Harry in. And I think that at the end of the day, it would have been more of a problem to do anything that we would consider a caper story and not have Harry in, because he's just so much that kind of a character. He's such a, he's such a scoundrel. Um, and, and being able, I, I just love his voice. I like, I mean, I know that I, I've come to understand over the recent past from reading comments on bulletin boards and in reviews that some people don't like Harry Mudd. I find <laughs> that incomprehensible. How can you not like Harry Mudd? But some people don't like Harry. Yeah. Um, I thought everyone liked Harry Mudd. Yeah. Uh, um, so, you know, okay, sorry folks, but I think he's a great <laughs> character. He was, I mean, talking again about uh your 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 words shades of gray harry is one of the few characters from the original series who i would consider sort of a shade of gray character he's not a good guy he's not a bad guy he's just sort of a self-interested narcissistic you know jerk but he's charming um and he's inventive you know he's a smart guy so I really wanted to figure out what to do. Um, the biggest problem, of course, was figuring out how could he conceivably still be alive and why. But when you factor in the idea that he knew that somewhere out there, there was a planet where they could give him a body that would last for 500,000 years, that is motivation, my friends. He just had to find it. So that was, that was pretty much the reason 
uh, we wanted to keep him in. And then, of course, he, he serves as a link to, you know, other elements in the story because he's this guy who's like, like the center of this spider web that he's created over the, the well, decades, um, mm-hmm. you know, connecting things together. Uh, if I get to do another data story someday, you can be damn sure there's going to be more Harry Mudd in there. Because I think he's great. Oh, perfect. Because I was I was really happy to see him in the story. Yeah. And he's he's a character that's always fascinated me because you mentioned Moriarty being one of the few kind of recurring villains in TNG. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I think yeah. Harry, so Harry was the only one in I think TOS. he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the Klingons, they were all different guys. They all kind of looked the same. But you're right. Harry, I think, may have been the only character who showed up in more than one episode. Yeah, good point. So, yeah, I think Harry and Moriarty would have a lot of fun together. I have a vivid impression of them sitting around playing um, gin rummy and <laughs> Harry winning all the time and Moriarty. Being, How is he doing it? I'm so much smarter than he is. So. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, the the last thing and, and um, really thought of, too, and along with Dan, was the fact that the novel does kind of end <laughs> – ambiguously there there's a lot of things that could happen here and and mainly too with this the letter that data gets from mm-hmm. Moriarty saying he's kind of found this threat you know obviously as well too they're they're kind of friends now i mean they're you mm-hmm. know Moriarty isn't the the cookie cutter villain he's he's just a man who who needed something to happen and he was trying to save his existence in a lot of the ways that data has been trying to save his with his daughter and everything and so I liked the interplay there, but where would you go? And any thoughts about <laughs> where you might take this? And and it made me wonder, okay, who is this enemy, you know, that Data and Moriarty would go after him together? Mm-hmm. And would they even stand a chance with two of the smartest people in the galaxy together? Well, A, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, damn uh, <laughs> nice B. try, Matthew. Nice try. <laughs> good, I was good, being good. so you, subtle. You, you, you don't lose any points for asking. Um, and, and I'll be completely honest with you. I don't have it all figured out. It was, it was something I, I, I definitely knew that I wanted there to be a communication from Moriarty to Data at the end of the book, but I didn't want it to just be Hey, we're great. Thanks. Um, I don't think Moriarty would do that. I mean, I think he might actually pen a very nice thank you note and just say, dear sir, we are well. How, you know, just, just something very formal like that. But mostly I wanted to have a reason for my editor to come back to me and say, okay, people are asking about this. Go write another book and answer the question. I don't know what the answer is. Not entirely i have an idea uh and you can best believe it is something to do with the fact that um in the original series that there were all of these androids around and they all seem to have come from somewhere else a long time ago and they all settled here uh why where did they come from why did they leave where they were? And apparently they went a very long way to get here. That's kind of where, that's like the, the very like loosest terms I want to talk about. And I also would want to make sure that Moriarty and Data were teamed up in one of those um, kind of, you know, 
they're cops. They don't like each other. Kind of, you know, <laughs> rivalry. Nice. Buddy cop film. I love buddy, it. Buddy cop film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't know what all, what all the answers are. And I don't even know if I'm even going to get to do it because as previously mentioned, data equals saffron. So you're, you, there's going to be a limit to what we're all going to be able to do. And I'm sure David Mack is already thinking of a really <laughs> three-part novel that's going to knock my socks off and make me say, oh, if only I'd thought of that. Well, but um, but, but we'll get you got two things. One, somewhere you can have data say, I'm getting too old for this shit. Um, <laughs> and, then two, and then two, I've got the opening lines. Mm -hmm. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You've stolen it. Yeah. Actually, actually, <laughs> that whole I'm getting too old for this shit is the tagline of the Deep Space Nine story I'm working on right now. Margaret, every time I talk to her, she says, and then O'Brien says, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> but he says it all the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. At least three or four times a day, probably. Yeah, every time, well, and then every time he dislocates his shoulder, too, in, in the kayaking what happens program. Is he kicks the computer console, and then he's, oh, mm -hmm. man, that hurt. I'm getting too old for this shit. And, 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 and then Nog replies, I'm not Dr. Bashir. I keep telling you that. I'm not Dr. Bashir. And, they, exactly. and the argument. The argument just goes from there. But yeah, that's that's absolutely. I mean, I love. I have to say, I you know, I I do not remember ever particularly like seeking out those kinds of buddy action adventure pictures when I you know when I was a avid film goer in the eighties. But my God, they must be in my DNA. I mean, they have <laughs> sunk into me in a way that I don't even understand because <laughs> the cliches are just so much fun, and the, just turning them around and playing with them is just a is just a delight. So yeah, I really hope I get to do something like that. Not just with what, the thing I'm working on now, but going on into Moriarty and Data and and putting them up against. I mean, this is the other thing: is putting them up against something that even they would look at it and go, oh my God, we're in trouble. And go from there. You know, that's that's the the the, the general concept I'd like to work towards someday. So what's uh, Margaret's number? Because I want to see this novel. Yeah, me too. So. <laughs> well, I, I happen to know she listens to these podcasts. So uh, she does. Consider, She's been on here before. Consider, consider her. <laughs> consider her informed. Uh, the other day, in fact, I we was talking to her, and she said something. Um, and I said, Margaret, I never said anything to you about that. And she was like, no, no, you said it on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Margaret, man. there's three people here that'll read that book. So, Oh, yeah. yeah we <laughs> and we Jeff sometimes address Margaret it. directly on the show. We're like, Margaret, if you're listening, this is what we <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm sure she appreciates it, but I'm also sure she's going to give me shit for this. Cause <laughs> don't need to do this. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, Jeff, uh, you know, before we let you go, let everybody know where we can find you online, uh, what you've been up to, what you're working on, what people need to get that's yours, that's uh, either come out or coming out. Um, well, the Star Trek books are out. You know about those. Um, I am, like I said, working on a project that I hope comes to fruition. It's a Deep Space Nine. We will probably know in the next few weeks whether that's going to come together. Um, I'm feeling pretty positive about it, which case you'll see that. I don't know. 
I'm slow. Um, I'm not David or, or Warder Date, and I can't do these things as quickly as they do, but hopefully sometime in the next year to 18 months. We'll see. I'm sure you'll hear about it before I do, the release dates. <laughs> uh, you can find me on my blog that I haven't really updated very much lately because uh, life, um, but you could just search for Jeff Lang blog or Herding Cats. That's the, the name of it. Um, I'm on Facebook. Come by and say hi and friend me. It's not an author page. It's just my Facebook page, and I'm really boring. I hate to tell you, I don't do much. That <laughs> um, we also talked last week about Twitter and I've been getting shit from people about what I said, but I'm going to say it again. I don't like Twitter. I don't care about Twitter, but if you want to find me on Twitter at uh, Jeffrey S. Lang, I think that's it at Jeffrey S. Lang. And that seems to be about it for now. I'm going to be at Shoreleaf, which is a, if you live on the East coast, a pretty cool sci-fi sf media convention in the uh outskirts of baltimore um it's a super super fun thing about 25 star trek authors all show up and go to the bar and don't leave for two days and <laughs> it's just as much fun as you could possibly imagine um we even actually have panels and stuff occasionally uh, <laughs> but at the bar did the panels take place at yeah. the bar so you don't have to leave the bar <laughs> If Marco's in the bar, everybody's in the bar. That's the way it works. If Marco leaves the bar, we're all allowed to go and do other things. Um, yeah. Oh, and um, we'll find out in the next, hopefully in the next couple of months, whether or not um, my original novel uh, that I've been trying to find a home for finds a home. But you can be damn sure when that happens, I will be broadcasting that far and wide because I'm, I'm very excited about the possibility of doing something else out there which is you know love the trek love it to death but there are other worlds to explore well jeff i just want to thank you so much for coming back on it's been a blast uh to have you on for the immortal coil and and the light fantastic and and i know i speak for chris and dan when i say uh, we really enjoy your books um i, I do hope you get to do more trek because the novels are, are so much fun. Um, I think that's one of the things that you really capture is the fun of Star Trek. Um, I think that's what made so many people enjoy the original series. I, I think that's what people gravitate towards. I mean, when they, they name their favorite episodes, it's usually the trouble with tribbles, mm -hmm. trials and tribulations, you know, the funny things. The, the, those are the things that really stand out. And, and Trek can be funny and fun and, and still be a good story that makes us think deeply about, you know, what it means to be human, what it means to exist. And I, I you really, uh, I think, do that well. So uh, I do hope that Margaret is listening and that well, <laughs> uh, she will get you to write some more Trek novels for us. She said something very nice to me the other day. She said, your books are like dessert after after the mm. heavy meals that uh, some of these these guys and they do a beautiful job of it. I'm actually... Uh, in the middle of the uh, the fall, I'm okay, working yep. my way through that, and it is so much fun. It is so fun. But, oh my God, is it grim? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, yeah, a little dessert at the end of the day. It's a nice thing, and, and if that's what I'm going to be, then fine. I'm happy to be it. And thank you very much for enjoying the books, and thank you for um, letting me come and talk to you again. Um, feel free to 
call me up anytime. We could just chat about, oh, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Lost in space? Let's talk about lost in space. <laughs> robots. Yeah, robots. Yes, robots. robots. Yeah. <laughs> My, we could do, we could do a, ta- a countdown, our top 10 favorite robots. Let's just right there. Boom. <laughs> Done. Podcast. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. Yeah, thanks so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you. Well, Matthew and Dan, I am glad that Jeff was back with us. It's been great, actually. I, I love the way that you set this up, Matthew, to have Jeff on to do The Immortal Coil and then to do The Light Fantastic so we could really connect those together. It was a lot of fun, and, and I'm so thankful that he was um, willing to do that. It's great to have the authors on, you know, even to have a book of that age, to have the author come back and, and, and talk to us about it, and then, you know, of don't get a lot of times, and, and I think in, in, in the Star Trek world where uh, an author get has a book taken, a sequel made to it, and then he gets to write a sequel to the sequel. I mean, it's pretty unique. So I, I was very thankful to get to talk to Jeff, uh, and it's he's just a blast to have on the show. Most definitely. Well, The Light Fantastic isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week, though. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're 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 dealing with people who are, you know, stupid. I mean, you know, <laughs> s- stupid and and uh, just so clouded with bigotry and stuff like that that it's just like, well, what can you say to them? Earl Grey. Oh, that's right, because there was like a an engineer lady. Yeah. I think I think Jordy. She's, she's basically maybe? Ariel, and she wants more. She wants to see where the wait. Does she have are. some thingamabobs? The orb. I think that's the thing that Casey does is he he's able to take what the writers gave us and portray a man who is going to do a 180 and you're going to believe it. The ready room. In watching it again today, preparing for this, I was appreciative of the fact that Wesley was there going, gee whiz. To the journey. I did like that we got to see some genes in Enterprise. But that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of bridging the gap between 24th century and now. I don't want to see Captain Janeway in jeans. Because you know they'd be mom jeans, right? Commentary, Trek stars. I think that the term talk soup for geeks is actually very descriptive, which I still find very strange, because I still don't know how that possibly is an example that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of people who watch, uh, as they call it now, the soup. I don't approve of that. That's disgusting. Okay. Literary treks. Each character had to go on a mission alone with Spock in a small craft, and that <laughs> led them all to decide to leave the Enterprise. I am not working with that guy alone ever again. <laughs> and introducing our newest show, Star Trek Axenar, the official podcast. I've been having a great time experimenting with what works, what doesn't work. You know, what does the Klingon D6 sound like? No one really knows. We don't know what an impulse manifold on a, on a, or a fusion reactor on a D6 sounds like. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find them everywhere you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show you want to listen to and you'll find us there. And a reminder about our reviews promotion. If you're in iTunes or on Stitcher, 
Be sure to review Literary Treks, or if you've already reviewed the show, you can review the Master Feed and also review all the other shows you listen to here on the network, because you can get your name in the drawing for some great Star Trek prizes, which include some Star Trek novels of your choice, also Star Trek, a season of Star Trek on Blu-ray or DVD of your choice, some original Starships collection ships from Japan, and also a collection of our art badges, our original alien art badges. And uh, also, for you Axanar fans out there, we've got a set of embroidered patches from Axanar now, which Alec Peters has contributed. And those things are really amazing. They're actual embroidered patches. They look fantastic. So all you need to do is to review our shows and then go to trek.fm slash review. Fill out the form that you see there. That lets us know who you are, helps us match you up to your reviews, and every review you leave will get you an entry in the drawing. So please do that, and we look forward to hearing from you on those. And speaking of reviews, Matthew, we've gotten a lot of reviews recently, and we can't read them all in one show, but I did want to share a couple of them today. We have one from Eric the Mailman in Canada, and he gave us five stars and said, A great way to navigate the novels. I find jumping into the novels a daunting experience. These guys can really help guide you to where you might want to start. I love the author interviews, too. And also, WLDKT1 from the States left us five stars as well and said, Love my Trek books. This show has great interviews with the authors of Trek fiction and nonfiction. It also keeps me up to date with what's going on in the literary Trek world. So, Eric and WLDKT1, however you pronounce that, thanks so much for the reviews. We do have more. We'll be reading more on future shows. And go leave us yours so we can read them here as well and get your name in the drawing. If you'd like to leave us some feedback on today's show and what we talked about with Jeff or anything we talked about in news, there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM. We have a community on G+. We have forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can send us a voicemail through the website or go to our form at trek.fm slash contact, and that will come to both Matthew and me by email. Now, Dan, when you're not trying to figure out your next great mystery that you can go off and do with data, where can people find you? Well, Chris, um, you can find me on uh, my website where I review both new releases and older Star Trek novels, and that's just at treklit.com. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash treklitreviews, and on Twitter, at treklitreviews. And also my reviews of the new releases get uh, republished on trekcore.com, as well as written interviews uh, with the authors. Excellent, excellent. And of course, people can find you on past episodes of Literary Treks here as well, and future episodes, because we really love having you around. Well, thank you. I love being on. So, Matthew, when you're not talking to your mom about how hot Seven of Nine is, (laughs) where can people find you? Well, Chris, people can find me at MattRushing02 on Twitter. Uh, They can also find me doing The Orb with you, where we talk about Deep Space Nine all the time. Um, And we've been going through, I think, one of our great series so far of the end of Deep Space Nine series. So you can find us there. And you can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not worried about whether or not somebody's going to catch you running off with Alice again, uh, the Alice <laughs> series, where can people find you? Yeah, well, you, you know, I, at least I'm not with Stella. That's all I can say. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash C Brian Jones. So feel free to hit me up there. I have my website at cbrianjones.com. And then I do a lot of shows here on the network. Besides those I do with Matthew, I have Warp 5, Matterstream, Continuing Mission, The Ready Room, Hyper Channel, which is the daily Star Trek news show, and also the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar, which I co-host with Alec Peters. So check that out as well. We've had some great people on there already. David Gerald has been on. We have uh, Robert Meyer Burnett coming up. Lots of people on there. Uh, Actually, Matthew, speaking of the motion picture, which we talked about in news today, actually Frank Serafini, who worked on the sound design of the motion picture, is on next week's episode of the Axanar podcast. So tune into that as well. Before we let you go, we'd like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks. And you can get a free book of your choice as a Trek FM listener if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. There's nothing to lose if you decide not to stick with Audible. You get to keep that book. But go pick up the return that we talked about today or anything else that you want, because when you support Audible, it really does help us keep literary treks coming to you every single week. So again, go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and try them out. I promise you'll love them. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>